Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Brex and Lav. At this week's edition, we will talk about the PGA Tour and the PIFS Framework Agreement, which was made public on Monday night. Keegan Bradley, an increasingly muddy Ryder Cup picture, at least on the U.S. side. And of course, what's on the grill for the July 4th holiday. But first, Rex, you obtained the Framework Agreement between the PGA Tour and the Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, which was turned over to lawmakers on Monday night ahead of the July 11th review by U.S. Senate subcommittee. Real quick, what do we need to know here? Real quick, uh, I'm going to say this, and this probably doesn't bode well for me. I thought we had some sort of agreement that anything <laughs> after 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, that we could just go on with our lives. I, I thought, by and large, this story had sort of held to that time frame. Anything between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. was fair game. You had to be on your game. You had to be ready for anything. But when you get a text at 9.30 at night, when like, that's the time when we crawl into our bottles and, and we, we want the day to go away. Fast asleep by that point. Fast asleep. Uh, I was in bed by not fast to, Yeah, it was not fast asleep. Uh, so it was a little surprising to get the text last night. Essentially what this is, as you pointed out, that it's a permanent subcommittee on investigations and uh, they want answers. They, they want to know more about this agreement. So that agreement was sent over and I obtained it. And the, I guess it, it's vague on purpose. This goes back to what we said when it was announced, I think, on June 6th, that had they shown up, had the PGA Tour, had Jimmy Dunn and Jay Monaghan showed up with a fully cooked plan, I think it would have been so much worse as as far as from the membership. They would have been so much more angry, and I don't know if that's even possible. But (laughs) at least now we know, like, for example, we're we're taping this podcast on Tuesday, uh, and there will be a policy board meeting tonight. And it'll be the first policy board meeting since this was unveiled. And from my understanding, they're not going to vote on anything tonight. That The framework agreement has already been approved. Now they start getting into the details. They start working towards the definitive agreement. This, what we got last night, again, five pages, very vague. I think we've covered most of the important bullet points. One, there's a path back for those players who join Live Golf to the PGA Tour and DP World Tour. Not sure what that looks like, but you do create that. An end of the litigation, and we saw that last week with prejudice, which means it can never come back. And three, they're going to take all the for-profit assets for the tour, DP World Tour, Live Golf, put them into a bucket, make an assessment, and that's what NUCO is going to be. And I'm not, I'm never going to stop calling that. I, I'm sure eventually they come up with some it's sort like, of cool thing. It's like Project Wedge, remember? Yeah. Isn't it great? Like, I, I love the idea of just from now to the end of time, it's just going to be NUCO. No, 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 no. We've got this great name for it. Nope, nope, nope. NUCO. You guys did it. It was a capital N, capital New C, all one word. Company. Switch together. Yep. All switched together. Hey, notice that? I hit my mic and it didn't go away. Well done. It's like it's like the old golf channel logo. They took the golf channel and the PJ Tour and smashed them together. Switched it together. Uh and so that will be whatever new code becomes. I guess it, it I, I have to go to a couple of things that stood out to me in the agreement, and I'm still kind of trying to digest it. And a lawyer, uh Jody Balsam, she's probably going to come up with uh, many better things than what I'm going to come up with. (laughs) One, there was a stipulation in there that all parties involved, that includes DP World Tour, PGA Tour, have to assist, quote unquote, assist Live Golf in its effort to try to get world ranking points. That stands out to me. And it almost seemed like a throwaway line. It was page four and a half of a five page document. But it was like the second half of a clause of a a long sentence at the end of a paragraph like it, I had to go it, back it, it's exactly a, it's like a throwaway line yeah i had to go back in a second time because i hadn't seen it um i 
I guess, and look, maybe this is completely incorrect, and we're kind of just operating on what we know and what we don't know. And one of the things we don't know is what happens to Live Golf. According to Greg Norman, that it's full steam ahead. It's business as usual. They're going to play out this season. They're about to announce ne- next season schedule. I can tell you internally, talking with people at Live Golf, both players and officials, that there's a real fear. Like, what becomes of us when NUCO is created? Because it's hard to imagine a world where both things exist where they come up with new co and whatever that is, it fits into the PGA tour schedule fits into sort of that ecosystem. And then live golf is going to exist, exist separately from that. That to me, in my mind suggests though, if they want world ranking points, that it isn't a short-term play that the PIF and the governor is taking sort of the long view on that one. So that one stood out to me. The other one that don't, stood out. Don't you, don't you think Rex, yeah. just to, just to put a fine point on that with the world ranking this. So this, this is just a framework agreement. The details are going to be hammered out over the next six to 12 months. It's still going to be uh, potentially subject to review uh, by the Department of Justice and or uh, other uh, entities. Don't you think that this is, this is merely a way for, for the PG Tour, DP World Tour, Live to come together uh, to try to secure Live's application for the OWG? Don't you think it's just a way to appease some of those players, keep them competitively relevant for the time being? until this could, could potentially be done. We were, I mean, Liv, Liv submitted its application almost a year ago, right? It was right around the Open Championship when they submitted the review. These, these things tend to take anywhere between 12 to 16 months of history as any indication. We should be getting some clarity uh, soon on that front. If they can get world ranking points, it doesn't seem like they're going to get them retroactively, but if they get world ranking points moving forward, that could help players at least gain something, get back inside the top 100 maybe if they go on an absolute tear, get them back inside the top 60 or top 50 uh, and make them eligible for the major championships in 2024. I don't necessarily think that that line is an indication that this is like a long-term play and keeping live viable for the, for the future. I think it actually might just be a short-term solution, a six to 12 month solution to make sure that these players remain competitively relevant and potentially open to the major championships, especially if there could be a path back in 2024. Uh, well, that's where I think your your plan runs into an issue. So there is a path back. I mean, that's written into the agreement. So there will right. be some sort of path back, whatever that looks like, beginning next year. So the only stipulation was at the end of 2023. So in theory, you could come up with a scenario that those players would start next year on January 1 as PGA Tour members again or DP World Tour members. So I don't well, there's think still going to be some sort of penalty. Uh, yes. And that's the, the, the bigger question. I mean, this goes, that was one of the other things that we've already sort of addressed. Uh, I don't know how in this fractured universe that seems to be becoming more and more fractured by the day, because you're starting to get sort of these separations, at least among players, at least among the rank and file that they don't want to see X player come back. And I'm tired of naming them because I don't want to get called out again on social media. They're okay. If Y player comes back, a, a player, like, I don't know, let's call him DJ player. And then, but they don't like, if X player comes back, let's call him Phil Mickelson. I, I think that's where the issue is going to end up being here because you're going to have to take this a la carte. My understanding is it's going to be on a case by case basis. And that is, it, it comes with its own set of problems. So I'm not quite sure. I see what you're saying, but in theory, if those players could start next year anew, then I, I don't know why they would need to have that sh- short term gap because it's clear that live golf events aren't going to get points this year. Like that's not, they're not just going to happen overnight. I mean, I don't think that that's it. Why not? Why can't, why can't they get them? I think this is the halfway point of a live season. If if this decision can get approved. 
I think it was 18 months that they essentially said that's sort of the average. If you go back to the last tour that got him, it's a tour in Mexico. It took 18 months. So that's what they keep leaning into. Yeah, and like, no you don't really get, yeah, you don't get to 18 months until after the live golf season is over. I guess anything is possible now that you have all the players in play. I will say that it is interesting that the parties involved is the DP world tour and the PGA tour. Jay Monahan, Keith Pelly with the DP world tour have already recused themselves from this. And so, and, at least on paper, they're not even part of this discussion. So again, it seemed like a throwaway line. I'm not quite 100% sure what it means. The other one was, if you went down even a little bit further, it talks about sponsorship and the PIF. And my understanding is uh, at specific events, I don't think we're going to end up with the PIF or Aramco sponsoring a PGA Tour event. I think that applies more to DP World. I think we'll end up with maybe two or three events, whether they're Aramco or PIF, like we've seen in the past. But other than that, I think it's pretty much what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, which I think is probably a relief to golf fans who, I mean, just like golf media, were caught by surprise by the landmark agreement. But there wasn't any, like, smoking gun in this. It wasn't something that Jimmy Dunn was was declining to admit publicly in some of the front-facing interviews that he did uh, in the days afterward. Like, Yasser is going to be a member of the PJ Tour Policy Board. We know that. Jay Monahan's going to have to do an empirical review of live golf and he'll have a final say over that. Uh, it is true that the PJ tour uh, is retaining control of new co. Uh, at least that's what it, it, it appears to be. I, I did think two things were interesting, Rex. One is that the agreement was signed on May 30th, which gave the tour and the PIF about a week, a week before mm-hmm. they went on CN- CNBC uh, and, and, and kind of dropped this bombshell. That is a long time. Tuesday, and yet I, Memorial Week. I, I, that's the first thing that stood out to me. I'm like, huh. Like, so on Tuesday of Memorial Week, they had this. They, they could have announced it then. They would have never done it. Uh, but uh, Jay Monahan was at Muirfield Village that day and the next day. So you get an idea of how things were moving along. But by, but by all accounts, they bungled the public messaging of this. And they had a week to prepare a comm strategy. Uh, that certainly uh, wasn't the best move. I, I still think the biggest open question, I think that's just because we cover professional golf, is is what actually happens to live golf. And so this new co, right, is going to be taking what they're calling like a full and objective empirical evaluation of live with with Monaghan having the final say. I can, you can probably guess which way uh, he would potentially lean in that. You, you, you just don't know, you know, Greg Norman, like any CEO, is, is reassuring his employees, reassuring the players that they're going to have a season. Maybe they're going to unveil a schedule. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to come to fruition. But does Live Golf continue in 2024, have a full season? Do they co- continue to go their separate ways? Is, is, like the, is, is the team model going to be incorporated into the PGA Tour? And if so, how? Would it, would it be you know, strictly a, a fall schedule? Would it be kind of sprinkled throughout the regular season, kind of what they do with the Aramco series on the ladies' European tour? I think that's probably the most realistic. I, I've, I, I've heard, you know, the theory that, oh, let's just have this, this fun kind of giveaway in the fall, right? That's not, that's not what the best players in the world are asking for. They're asking for <clears throat> this dedicated offseason, which Fine. they're finally going to get. They're finally going to get that in 2023, where after the Ryder Cup, they can shut it down for three months. If they're so doing, but instead you're going to have kind of these, these big designated events, the PGA tour schedule, you're going to have the major championships. You're going to have the FedEx cup playoffs. You're going to have a team event at the president's cup. And then you're going to have this team concept in the fall. It, it seems highly unlikely that that would be the solution. 
Uh, so that was one takeaway for, my, for me, Rex. The second is this is exactly what we thought, where there's very few details that have actually been hammered out, right, in this framework agreement. This is literally just that, a framework agreement. That, I think, gives the players a lot of power and potential sway to, to implement the changes for what the future of the PGA Tour could look like. If this was you know, fully, fully baked, as you said, you know, their hands are tied. The fact that there is uh, so much wiggle room here, not just with the, the path back, but what the PGA Tour schedule could look like, uh, I think should be actually enticing for the PGA Tour policy board and the rest of the membership. It is an interesting point because I think what you'll end up with is players who want to draw a line. We saw this with John Rahm last year. Like remember at Eastlake when he was told, okay, you have to play 20 events next year. And these are the 20 events. Like they hate that. Like they absolutely <laughs> like more than four putts. I mean, they absolutely being hate, hate being told, okay, 20 events. And these are those 20 events. Like that's not what they want to deal with at all. So they're going to have to come up with a tipping point. And you're right. Does live golf in its current form, continue to exist sort of outside the ecosystem and then you sort of pick and choose which events you want to bring in and you, i can imagine a world where the zero classic for example it's already a team event why wouldn't you just incorporate that as part of whatever nuco is going to be there's some events on the dp world tour that you could probably bring into the fold but again all you're doing now is adding and i don't think the players at least the top players have any interest in adding at this point you've already got x number of designated events You've got major championships. You've got FedEx Cup playoffs. You've got Ryder Cup Cup slash President's Cup. And then if you're a member of the DP World Tour, you've got some obligations over there. They're going to have to find a way to sort of walk this line, and it's not going to be easy. Yeah, I don't think the fall uh, is necessarily going to be the answer for that. Here's one thing, Rex, that I posited on Monday's scramble. You've got to see a doctor. You've got to see a doctor about whatever that is. A lot of yellow phlegm still, not going to lie. After two months, you would have thought uh, they had disappeared. Here's something I posited, Rex. I'm going to get. I'm, I'm eating my oatmeal, just so you know. Just so you guys oh, can man. go ahead and call me out. That that's fine. We have a very very busy morning involved. We've got a, a very important meeting come up. I have to do. The, I have to do golf today. We need to knock this out. We need to do, knock some other stuff out. Don't lecture me about eating my oatmeal. Go. This is eight thirty. I, I I ate breakfast two and a half hours ago. Uh, get, get with the program. Try and attack the day, uh, as I say. University of Georgia football program. Here's something Rex I posited on golfchannel.com and my Monday scramble that I want to get your take because there is a third member of this framework agreement that seems to be forgotten. We talk about a lot what this is going to mean for the PJ tour and its future. We talk a lot about what this is going to mean for the PIF, which is the financial backer of live golf, but the DP world tour is kind of the forgotten member of this agreement. And I actually think that there is a window of opportunity to do something that is very cool. And so I went through kind of the PGA Tour schedule, and there's clearly a familiar cadence, right, that is familiar to golf fans, and it's something that we've grown accustomed to over the past couple of decades. You have, you know, the West Coast swing on what I think is inarguably the best courses that they'd see all season on the PGA Tour. Then you have to run up to the Masters on the Florida swing. And then the schedule tails off a little bit. There's really only one signature event between the Masters and the PGA Championship. That's the one at Quell Hollow. Uh, you have two cool venues uh, between the PGA and the U.S. Open. That is Muirfield Village and Colonial. But we're kind of in, I would call it like the dead zone in the PGA Tour schedule where the events are kind of unmemorable. They're not played on particularly great golf courses. The fields um, are a little bit hit or miss. This week's Rocket Mortgage uh, has has actually a, a decent field, I think, because of some sp- uh, player commitments or players like Justin Thomas who are trying to earn points and solidify 
their FedEx Cup standing. But I think there's a window of opportunity, Rex, to more closely align with the PGA Tour and a DP World Tour. And here is what my potential solution is. I want to see a month of co-sanctioned golf across the pond. I want to see a stretch of golf that includes the British Masters, the Irish Open, the Scottish Open, and it culminates with the Open Championship. It is not realistic to expect that the best players in the world are going to spend a month over abroad. Like That's just not going to happen, particularly after the the busy spring and early summer they had, particularly not with the FedEx Cup playoffs upcoming. But if they can pick and choose one or two of those stops and spend two or three weeks overseas uh, on great golf courses with huge purses, uh, I think that would be a massive jolt to the PGA Tour schedule. And you can still have both, right? You can still have a 3M Open. You can still have a Rocket Mortgage. You can still have a John Deere. But it's just going to draw a different caliber of player than you could potentially have these co-sectioned events abroad. Tell me why I'm a genius, and don't tell me that I'm an idiot. No, I don't think you're an idiot. I will say it's unrealistic. Having done kind of a similar stretch last year that you're talking about, so I did the Irish Open. I was a central reporter at the Irish, the Scottish, and then went on to the Open Championship and covered it there. I can tell you I enjoyed that. Certainly Bunkmate enjoyed being over there for a month on someone else's dime. I'm I'm going to say that players don't like it very much. Specifically, take Rory McIlroy, for example. He has a lot of pressure to play the Irish Open, which is understandable. But you don't want to play two weeks leading into a major championship, especially a major that's going to mean the world to him this year, going back to Royal Liverpool. And I can tell you that the folks at Horizon, who sponsored the Irish Open, didn't like particularly being lost and sort of that flurry of really, really good events. I like where your, your mind's at, and I think you probably could I come think up it would with just, sort of it would rotation. just give an identity to this part of the season. It, like right now, this is just like survival season. Instead, it could be coffee golf season, links golf season. Uh, I, well, and I think we're going to end up with, my guess is I think we see the schedule, the PGA Tour schedule for next year this week. Uh, I've heard rumors that it was going to come out last week, but it looks like it's probably going to be aimed more towards this week. And based on sort of what we've seen, what I've seen, I think you're going to end up with a scenario where you would have Memorial, U.S. Open, Travelers Championship. And then you would sort of have that dead couple of weeks. I think it's three weeks between the Travelers Championship and the time we end up, at, that golf ends up at the Open Championship. So you could do something there. Not like right now you have the Scottish in the Open. I don't know if top players are going to play, so then that would be three weeks, and then that oh, would be I mean, six, that's, and that's seven. That's just, that's I mean, you're talking much. about them playing five out of seven weeks. It's just not going to happen. And it, this goes back to my other comment. We can come up with a lot of creative ways to fit whatever new code is going to be into the current PGA Tour schedule and DP World. To your point, I, I think some of it's kind of stupid. But to your point, I, I like the idea that DP World is going to be the one that's on the outside looking in. It is telling that Keith Pelly, the CEO of the DP World Tour, does not have a seat as of right now on that new code board. And so you get an idea of where the power flux is going to end up. And I think if you talk to people internally in Europe – there is a concern that you could already make an argument it's a secondary circuit. Does it become sort of the third best circuit at that point behind the PGA Tour and then whatever NUCO is and then the DP World Tour? That's not a great scenario. God, and the Corn Ferry Tour is catching up quickly, too, if you look at the caliber of players who are winning and are soon to be promoted uh, to Lee the PGA Westwood, Tour. Check the timestamp on that. Corn Ferry Tour catching up <laughs> with the European Tour. I think, get at I think it's I think it's inarguable at this point. It's just it's just frustrating because we've we've been sold this this reimagined PJ Tour schedule and it is going to be different if there's a cadence between a designated event, three non-designated events, a designated event and kind of that. But the the actual 
feel of the PGA Tour season is not going to be all that different. Like there was a golden opportunity to bring in like an Abu Dhabi or Dubai at the beginning of the year. There's a golden opportunity to bring in the, the BMW PGA at some point during the late summer uh, or early fall. There was, a, there was an opportunity to, to make not just the Scottish a co-sanctioned event, but the Irish, the Italian, the French, the British Masters, all of these great tournaments with storied history on the DP World Tour and bring them into the PGA Tour fold, boost those purses, uh, get significant players to come abroad and spend two or three weeks uh, heading into the year's final major. It's just frustrating. I'm not saying it's not going to ever happen uh, because that's just the optimist in me speaking that, that, that essentially we can have, eventually we can have a reimagined PGA Tour, uh, but it certainly does not sound that that's going to be the case in 2024. Rex, Keegan Bradley was the winner at the Travelers Championship, potentially not the most um, dramatic Final round that we've seen on the PGA Tour schedule. At one point, he was leading uh, by six shots. Patrick Cantley actually had an opportunity, a good, a good opportunity, to cut into that deficit even more, uh, trim the deficit to, to two shots, potentially even one. Instead, he bogeyed uh, two of his last three holes. But even if it wasn't necessarily dramatic for viewers, I think it was hugely significant for Keegan Bradley uh, shouting out the winners uh, and all of the golfers from the Northeast all over the world. Uh, what do you make of this now, Rex? Keegan Bradley, two-time winner this season, up to number seven, U.S. Ryder Cup standings, back inside the top 20 in the world rankings. What do you make of Keegan's resurgence? Is it here to stay? And what does it mean in particularly for the American Ryder Cup team? For those of us that like to do the storytelling thing, and this this is like right up your alley, I can see you doing some sort of tearful feature next year going into, I don't know, the PGA championship or something with, with Keegan and this entire family. Uh, I, I will say that from a storytelling point of view, this is pretty good because this is two guys. This is a guy who's gone through not one, but two reclamation projects go back to when the USGA and the RNA banned anchoring and he had to figure out another way. And he was one of the guys, I think a lot of us and I'll throw myself in, uh, under that bus thought, mm, yep, he's not going to make it in the new world. He needed anchoring. He was sort of the example. He was, he was exhibit a, when the USGA and the RNA decided that they didn't say it out loud, it was the quiet thing that no one said out loud, that they did not like the visual of him winning that PGA championship. I think Ernie Els winning the Open, yeah, I think he was also anchoring at the time, didn't help. But he found a way, and like we saw it this weekend. I, I thought uh, our colleague Andrew Bradley, he's the field producer who was up there, and he, he sent this great picture out on Twitter over the weekend of, of what – Keegan does every morning and it's the aim point thing, but he, he takes it a step farther every morning on the putting green. He will actually assign the number of what he thinks the slope will be all the way around. And it forces him to sort of recalibrate every single day. I thought it was really cool because it shows a level of commitment to a part of his game that wasn't very good, that he was determined. Like, I'm not going to let this be a liability anymore. Like I'm going to become a good putter again. So he did that. And then he sort of had to rebuild himself after another slump when it looked like his career was probably over that he rebuilt his swing, he re rebuilt his body. He's healthy now. And you pointed out like he's on this year's Ryder cup team. He is a, a top 10 player. We talked about this last week. He's in that sort of magical top 50. Now that it looks like into the foreseeable future, he's going to be a force again. It is interesting because like, if you look at his strokes game putting stats uh, before the anchor band came down and then post 2016, when the anchor band was enforced like it was a it was a stark difference and he has rebuilt himself not just into a good putter he's a top 25 putter on the pj tour he's always been an incredible driver of the golf ball one of the best drivers of the golf ball 
on the entire PJ tour. And now you supplement that uh, with, with above average, if not elite putting. Uh, and it certainly seems like his, uh, his game is here to stay even at age 37. I, I do think it speaks Rex to his doggedness, to his determination, uh, to his grit, uh, to his unwillingness to <clears throat> kind of be put in this box. And I go back to something that he said on Sunday night where, you know, I'm a, I'm a Northeast kid. I grew up in the Finger Lakes area in New York. He said, quote, this is for all the kids like me that grew up in winters and can't play. And we get to watch kids from Florida and down South get better and compete and get invited to the biggest tournaments in the country that I was never invited to. And I hope they know that they can come from this area. They can come from this area and still make it in golf. I was <clears throat> never going to make it in okay, golf. Take a breath. Take, take, take a breath. Get, 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 I cleared get, it. Get a drink of water. You sure? Good. You good? All yep, right. I cleared it. I was never going to make it in golf. I was a low to mid 70s shooter. Like I could have played for D3 school, but I still, you still kind of felt that as a Northeasterner where, you know, your season basically ended on Halloween and you pick it up again on April Fool's Day and you'd watch everyone else get better. And there was just no way that you knew that you were going to be able to shoot those scores. And so for Keegan Bradley to come from that area, uh, which is somewhat unique for him to go to St. John's, which is obviously not a golf powerhouse. Uh, and develop into this top 20 player in the world who's now playing with uh, Michael Jordan uh, at the Grove and getting texts from Tom Brady and Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I think is a very cool story. When you look big picture now at the U.S. Ryder Cup team, well, you, you can't help but think back to the President's Cup last September, Rex. Like, you looked at that American squad. Uh, Davis Love III called it one of the best that's ever been assembled. We kind of always thought that there would be two spots available Moving forward, like you thought Billy Horschel and Kevin Kisner would cycle off of that squad, I think you're going to have a lot more turnover than that. Uh, Brooks Kepka, even you know, while switching allegiances and the tours that he's playing on, uh, has, has put himself uh, on that team. Wyndham Clark, the U.S. Open champion, has put himself on that team. And now uh, Keegan Bradley, who's up to seven, that's one outside the automatic spots, uh, although he's not guaranteed to be on that, that squad, uh, he would be hard for Zach Johnson to overlook now as a two-time winner this season and a player who, albeit a decade ago, does have some Ryder Cup pedigree. And so I know we're talking about this on Golf Today as well. Who's a player that you have your eye on who's outside that top six who you think needs to kick it in gear here over the next two months? I mean, I, I see where you're coming from with this, but if you kind of go from 7 to 12, right? And if you're Zach Johnson, that's sort of the number you're probably fixated on. At the moment, seven, as you pointed out, is Keegan Bradley. Eight is your boy, Jordan Spieth. Nine is Cam Young. Ten, Sam Burns. Eleven, Justin Thomas. And twelve, Colin Morikawa. I think if he went straight chalk right now, no one's going to throw their arms up and be like, oh, you got it completely wrong. I, There's I think no Luke, Ricky. There's no Finau. There's Ricky's no DJ. Ricky's the one that's going to stand out. Yeah, and I mean, DJ actually slipped to 33 this week. So I, I'm not quite sure. No DJ, I don't think we're going to hear that. I mean, I, I think Brooks is pretty much a lock. No, he has dropped a third, but you would imagine he's, he's going to stay inside that top six. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on what DJ does at the Open Championship. And that that is his last and only chance to do anything. If you look at that top 12, it's pretty hard to be like, mm, all right, so maybe Wyndham Clark is not someone you would expect on that list. But at second, that's not going to be a conversation that Zach's even probably going to be able to have at that point. Wyndham Clark earned his way onto the team. Max Homa at six. I think if I he mean, falls, Max, Max, Max Homa's on that team. I would think so too. So like, I don't see anyone Cam Young concerns me because I don't think he's particularly playing very good golf at the moment. But again, he was on that team last year at Quail Hollow. I think he's sort of 
part of what they want to create going forward. He's not my favorite player to watch because I've never seen anyone so miserable on a golf course <laughs> in my entire life. But I don't see him not getting a pick, especially at nine on the list. Ricky Fowler stands out. Tony Fino, you're right. But it's hard to justify it. as well as Ricky has played. Who are you going to get rid of? Morikawa? That's a tough one, man. I know. So, so Cam Young is kind of the player that I've circled. He does not have a finish inside the top 30 since the Masters. Marco Simone is obviously kind of an unknown golf course. It's supposed to be big, but it's also supposed to be at least somewhat narrow in spots with some penal rough. The way that, that, that Cam Young uh, is hitting the golf ball right now, he would probably be, despite being ninth on that list, I, I think he's a player that Zach Johnson could potentially be looking outside the top 12 to kind of field that roster. He's a player that certainly needs to be playing better uh, as, the, as the group gets finalized here. I'd be looking at Kyle Morikawa. You know, although he went 3-0-1 at the Ryder Cup in 2021, has not played his best golf of late, too. Someone, I, I think the bigger point, Rex, is that with the, with the resurgence of Brooks Kepka, with the um, uh, improved play of Keegan Bradley, uh, with the kind of breakout year from Wyndham Clark, we're looking at, a, at at least one, if not two, high-profile names being left home, whether it is a, a Cam Young, a Sam Burns, a JT, Colin Morikawa, Tony Finau, Ricky Fowler, Dustin Johnson. Like, you, you can't bring them all. You, you, can't, you can't have a team that's, that's 14 deep. It's obviously a great problem to have, except if you're Zach Johnson, because then you're going to have to justify if the team does lose across the pond, there's going to be a lot of second guessing of you, who you potentially overlooked. But there could be some hard feelings. I think JT was a player to keep an eye on. Uh, he had a, a, a much improved week at the Travelers Championship, finished inside the top 10, shot a 62 on Saturday. Very curious to see uh, if he can keep it going uh, over the next couple of weeks as well. Sausage Faker, please. Well, I was going to send you a text on Sunday afternoon for both of us to take a bit of a victory lap because I believe last week in our Golf Today hit, we each had to pick a player who was kind of on the bubble. I believe you went with JT. Very well done. Pat on the back. I went with Adam Scott. Both of them were on the leaderboard. On Sunday morning, so I felt like that we, we did pretty well. You want to you want to run it back, or you have no interest in doing that? Uh, we can run it back. I don't have the technology uh, to do so, but you are exactly right. Those are the two players that we picked. Uh, we'll be picking uh, said players uh, again uh, for this week's golf today hit. Would I mean, Jay, Jay, Jack Johnson or Luke Donald at this point, though. I see the point you're trying to make here, but who would you rather be right now? I, I mean, if you're if you're Zach Johnson, you have an embarrassment of riches. Right. Like you have, you have to make very difficult phone calls. If you're Luke Donald, I think you're kind of hitting and hoping at this point. Right. Like if if you look at this European team and like the actual core of the team is very, very solid. We're talking John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Terrell Hatton, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, Shane Lowry, Justin Rose. Like I, I think you can almost guarantee that those guys are going to be there. And then you're getting a little bit dodgy. Then you have to have guys who are in form, who are going to be stepping up in the biggest week of their life, whether it's a, it's a Yannick Paul, who is currently on the team, automatically qualified, an Adrian Moronk, who is an absolute mammoth man, uh, but he's going to be stepping into an arena that he's never seen before, a Sepp Straka, a Seamus Power, uh, your boy Victor Perez, Alex Norn has some uh, Ryder Cup pedigree, but, but boy, it's... It's been a minute. The Hogard twins, you know, are they are they able to go their separate ways? Do they? You have to package them together. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're Luke Donald, 
you're kind of hitting and hoping to, to round out that 12-man roster where, where Zach Johnson doesn't really have that issue. Note Lee Westwood, 31-24. If you're Luke Donald, hitting and hoping. Hitting and, I mean, you are. You are, you are hitting you are hitting and hoping at the bottom of that roster. You need guys which, who are playing well, who either have some sort of course history there or, uh, I, I mean, or are kind of ready-made partnerships when you think of, like, the Hogarth twins. Which one of those picks didn't Stella like? I tried to pick up on it. I don't know if it was Victor Perez or, or one of the Hogarth twins that Stella just did not like. That. <laughs> she, wants, she wants to see she, – she, want, she wants to see a little bit more out of – out of, out of the Hogard twins. Before, before, we before all you do. Before, and Morocco is going to be on that team, by the way. Yeah, I, I yes. really believe Morocco will be on that team. Right. And so you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. So you're looking, you basically have to, you have basically have to pick two or three guys. So if it's a Bobby Mack who catches fire, it's if it's Sepp Straka who plays well during the FedEx Cup playoffs, it's a, if it's a Seamus Power who needs to kind of pick up back his form back from what we saw in the fall. Maybe it's an Alex Norn. Uh, I would kind of lean towards Norn personally. Uh, he has experience. A, a ball striking mis- a machine and does have some experience. So uh, it will be curious to see. There is, again, two months to go, and so much can change in two months' time. Rex, we do have a holiday coming up. It's the July 4th holiday. Strangely enough, it's going to be on a Tuesday this year. Uh, not a huge fan of that. Uh, what are you cooking on the grill uh, before I get into mine? Uh, what, are, what are you doing? We're going to be out of town. We're going to be in Savannah visiting some friends up on the beach, so I won't be cooking anything on the grill. If you're watching someone else cook, I am going to. You'll enjoy this. So my son wanted – I have not done a proper breakfast on the Blackstone yet. My son wanted me to do that this morning, uh, and it got postponed till tonight. So we're going to do – On a Tuesday. He just, want, he just wanted a big breakfast on a Tuesday. He just wanted a random big breakfast on a Tuesday, and I was going to do that, and my wife pushed it till tonight so the entire family can come over and enjoy it. So I'm fine with that. I am going to say this. It's, it's best that it got pushed because I would not have had time. I've been sprinting around <laughs> doing things this morning, so it worked out for the best. I, I, I will tell you this, that I did um, barbecue chicken thighs last night on the pit barrel, and I have mm. to admit it's become one of my favorite things because, one, it's relatively easy, and, two, they are delicious. Oh, there's nothing better, folks. If you're still cooking chicken breasts, just just stop. You're 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 embar- you're embarrassing yourself. Like they are absolutely flavorless. Unless you're pumping that thing and literally injecting it with butter, uh, it is just not going to be delicious. You have to absolutely perfect the doneness, probably by pulling it off at 158. Like you, they're they're just not they're just not good. Chicken thighs are are flavorful. You can give them any sort of flavor profile. They can get a delicious char on them. Like there's a lot to like with barbecue chicken thighs, uh, it is the easiest thing uh, to do. Enjoy those four burners on the Blackstone. You'll be lucky that you had them and fortunate that you had them. Uh, Bunk, shout out for spending $100 extra when you did not need to for that Blackstone. Uh, for me, Rex, this is kind of what I want to get into here with this conversation. Oh, boy. <clears throat> July 4th is not my favorite grilling holiday. I know it's like, it's like widely accepted that this is all – you know, a backyard cookout, everyone comes over. It's a great time. It's going to be 98 degrees. You're going to be at Reynolds, Tuesday. right? You're yes. up in Georgia, right? Mm. Yes, oh, it's going to be 98 there. degrees there. I don't want to be sitting over uh, a Weber kettle that's already going to be 500 degrees. It, you're, you're, you're sweating. You're getting sunburned. Uh, if you're wearing a, a tank top to work out your farmer's tan, like it's just, to, to me, it's, it's not a great holiday. I would, actually per, I would actually put Labor Day as a better cookout holiday than July 4th. I would, I would almost put, even though I haven't been able to enjoy Memorial Day uh, in many moons because it conflicts with the men's NCAA championship, like I would, I would put Labor Day kind of on par 
with with July Fourth. Every everyone knows that Thanksgiving is a barbecue pit master Super Bowl, right? Like that that is right. that no, is no, the no, established number this. one day. All right, I'm good with this. Let's do your top five holidays. Go from five to one. Ready? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I would do. I would do Thanksgiving number one. Well, I said um, five. But very good. I'm glad oh, we oh, figured that out. No, yeah. that's that, that's too hard. Uh, we're gonna do two. I'm gonna go with Christmas Eve. I actually like Christmas Eve better than Christmas. The reason why I do is we tend to have uh, beef tenderloin at the house. You can smoke it, uh, reverse sear it at the end. It's delicious. We have an au jus. We have mashed potatoes. Uh, it is it is wonderful to do. And plus, you have the anticipation. You're you're you're, you're about to have the climax of Christmas morning. Uh, I have young kids. It's great. They get to open it. They're all very excited. But to to me, the actual buildup is better than than the actual Christmas day. So I'm going with number two. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, it's it's fine. I tend to I tend to do a smoked ham. Uh, I might do a lamb. I might do a prime rib. Whatever the case uh, may be. Then Rex, then I would either do. I think I would do Labor Day. I think I would do Labor Day as my number four. Is Labor Day being, to clarify? Is would you consider Labor Day week zero? Like is isn't that kind of week yes. zero of football season? Exactly. Right. That's uh, a, yeah, that's, a, that's exactly way. Right. Labor Day weekend, you have football coming up. There's something to watch. You can grill out. You can still get all the seafood that you want. You can still do a barbecue theme if you want. Uh, I actually love Labor Day. The golf season, for all intents and purposes, is over before we reset before the Ryder Cup. Like, I actually love Labor Day. Uh, it is an absolute great holiday. And then I would put July 4th, number five, just because I'm an American. Uh, and I feel like you have to put it inside your top five. But it's not, it's not great. What do you, what do you, like, Burgers and hot dogs? Who cares? You can have it anytime. Oh, it's hot. Sure. It's very un-American. There's, there's fireworks at night. Dog gets scared of fireworks. Kids get scared of fireworks. It's not a great holiday. It's too hot. I, I, I just told you. So it was really hot. Obviously, I live in Central Florida, and it's late June. So it's very, very hot. It was close to 100 yesterday. But I will tell you, I worked in the yard yesterday afternoon, and then uh, they wanted just me and the boys. Uh, Bunk was out with some friends. So th- they wanted the, the chicken thighs. And so I just went ahead and started cooking on the back porch, and, and I, I wanted to do them kind of slow. And then I started watching the Florida L, uh, LSU. It's the last game of the College World Series. A lot of runs. A lot, lot, lot of runs scored of those runs. last two games. So many runs. I mean, it was almost like, what, 50 runs, I think, were scored the last two games, which is amazing. Uh, it was very entertaining, though. And I spent the entire afternoon on my back porch, and it was not terrible. I have a pool, so that actually makes things very easy for me. However, it wasn't bad at all. I, I think you're way off base on July 4th. I mean, once you're hot, you're already hot. And so if you're going to sit over a grill, like, yeah, you're already hot. You're already flushed. You're, like, what, what is it? What is it? You're already sweating. What, is it, what does it matter? It's the point of <clears throat> you're inside in the air conditioning. And then, okay, let's go fire up the grill. And now you're getting it cranked to 550. And it's just like a, it's just like a blast furnace. Oh, wow. It's not fun. All right. I mean, again, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm spoiled because I have the pool. So if I get overly hot, I can just dive in. And then we have fans on the back porch. I, I'm not with you on that front, but I, I get where you're coming from. But isn't Reynolds like like in the hills and you got trees, you got trees, you got Lake. cover. Isn't it supposed to be nice it's, up there? Isn't that the whole point? Uh, it's it's Lake Country. Uh, it is nice. It's my favorite uh, spot to go in the entire United States. However, it is still going to be 98 degrees uh, with suffocating humidity. It's going to feel like 110 degrees. Uh, so think yeah. of me, pour one out. Uh, it'll be very hot in Savannah. Uh, as well i'll be doing burgers i'll be doing hot dogs i'm hoping to get a couple chicken thighs on there because barbecue chicken thighs as we have established are delicious one we do not go to reynolds for july 4th i'll probably do some sort of clam bake <clears throat> i used to do that as a kid Take a growing break. up in western growing up in western new york uh, i do enjoy 
the clam bake. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> let's go out on the yeah, there it is. Go out on a bang. Let's that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Uh, stay tuned next week. We'll be either doing a podcast on Monday or Wednesday, still still TBD uh, with the production crew, and we're going to be doing that. But we will have a recap of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Look ahead to the uh, – uh, we'll, we'll also get a recap from the policy board meeting, if there is any news to come from that, as well as potentially, as Rex hinted at, the PJ Tour schedule for 2024. So there should be plenty to talk about next week. Thank you guys for listening to this. This is the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Wishing you and yours a happy July 4th. Even if, like us, you're going to be an incredibly sweaty mess. It's the best holiday. <laughs> <laughs>